0: Is it just me or to hear the announcement about the Christmas concert just feel a little crazy? It was almost 80 degrees Friday, and we're already talking about Christmas, but that is this time of year when we begin to roll into the holidays, and this morning is such an important day. Every year when we recognize All Saints Day, which is actually November the 1st, and we, on the first Sunday in November, recognize that day and give tribute to those who died in the faith. Uh, this morning, folks in Robertson Chapel are watching the sermon live, so we're getting a live stream over to Robertson for the service. You don't normally see me uh, preaching with a robe on, so I'm, I'm in street clothes most of the time when you see me, so we're really glad that we can all be tied together in the live moment right now. So what goes into making a saint? What does it mean to be a saint? If you're like most people in church, you're probably uncomfortable with applying that title to yourself. And my guess is that all of these names and pictures we recognized earlier in their lifetime would have been equally uncomfortable identifying themselves as saints. But what if being a saint is not about being perfect, It's not about doing good things on such a grandiose scale that people forever remember who we are. What if it's different than that? Earlier this year, Pope Francis canonized new saints into the Catholic Church. And in his homily for that message, he said, by overemphasizing our efforts to do good works, We've created an ideal of holiness excessively based on ourselves, our personal heroics, our capacity for renunciation, our readiness for self-sacrifice in achieving a reward. In this way, we've turned holiness into an unattainable goal. Rather, the Pope said, holiness, sainthood, comes from acknowledging and sharing God's love. Now, if that be the case, that the ingredients of sainthood is about acknowledging and sharing God's love, then this is an appropriate Sunday to be concluding our series, Love Cubed. We're looking at the three loves Jesus identified in the two great commandments he spoke to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In this series, We've recommended that every day we do three things. One, each day cultivate intimacy with God. And two, each day do something to serve someone else. And then number three, what is probably the hardest for many Christians, do something every day that's good for you. Do something that's good for you. That's why we started this series with that one. It would make sense to start with the love of God because it's most important. But rather, we end with that today because it is the foundation of all the loves, loving God. So when Jesus gave what he said was the first and the great commandment, he was being true to his Jewish faith. And the scripture he quoted from Deuteronomy is known as the Shema. The word Shema means here. That's the first word in the scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Rabbi Brett Kirchever, senior rabbi at Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation, says this is the most important text in the Jewish life. He calls it the watchword of faith. And and as a little aside, I want to put a plug in for two weeks from today. By the way, that picture of Rabbi Brett makes him look about 10 years old. He's aged along with me since we've been here in Indianapolis. And two weeks from today, for the Thanksgiving celebration service, he's going to be with us. And he's going to teach us about an important aspect of Jewish life they celebrate in the High Holy Days. So you'll want to be here. Two weeks from today, Rabbi Brett is going to share the message with me. But back to the Shema, the watchword of faith. Every Jewish person is encouraged to say the Shema when they rise in the morning and before they go to bed at night. They are to teach it to their children. They are to put the Scripture in a little container called a phylactery and wear it around their forehead. They are to put it in a container, nail it to the doorpost, the book of Deuteronomy says. That started the tradition called the mezuzah where you put the scripture in a tiny scroll and you place it in a mezuzah that literally is put in every doorway in a Jewish home or building. Many of us just went to Israel for a Holy Land tour last month, and in all of the hotels where we stayed, there was a mezuzah in the door jam. Why? Why is this verse so important? that you're to do whatever it takes not to forget it. Let's think about the word love. You are to love the Lord your God. In Hebrew, the word love used in Deuteronomy is ahava. Ahava. Say that after me, ahava. 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 Uh, Even louder, ahava. Ahava. Rabbi Brett is going to be so proud when he comes that you are learning Hebrew. He's going to be excited. Ahava, it it describes deep care and affection in a relationship, but it has many layers. It can mean physical affection, like when the king of Persia had Ahava for Queen Esther because she was so beautiful. Now, when you use the word in that context, you, you pronounce it a little bit differently. You go, Ahava. <laughs> you can test me out on that with Rabbi Brett when he comes in a few weeks. So, it can mean sexual intimacy. It can mean the love of a parent for a child like Abraham who had Ahava for his son Isaac. It can describe a close friendship. Like King David, who had Ahava for his friend Jonathan. Now, all of these contexts of meaning of Ahava are brought together to describe God's love. We see that in another verse in Deuteronomy. God showed affection for you. He chose you because of his Ahava for you. In other words, this is who God is. You can't help but be loved by God. You don't have to believe in God to be loved by God. You don't earn it, you don't merit it, God gives it. You are loved by God. It also describes a feeling, deep emotion. But Ahava is not left as a feeling, it describes action. Because of God's Ahava for your ancestors, God brought you out of Egypt with great power. Ahava is action. It's what you do to communicate love for others. God showed Ahavah and calls for the people to show ahava for the stranger and the foreigner to look after them. So we are called to practice love like God loves. That's why it says in 1 John... We love because God first loved us. But still, why this word Ahava to be so important in, in life and faith? What is it about this word that you can't ever forget to practice the love of God? Well, let's remember the context. When the Shema was written, it came from Moses. The people were about to enter the Promised Land. Their greatest concern was the threat that would be posed by the people who lived in this land. In other words, the greatest threat to the security and the welfare of the people was believed to be out there, something they would face. But God knew otherwise. God knew that the greatest threat to the people wasn't out there. It was in here. It was what's inside of them. Much like it is for you and me. Our greatest threats in life really are not the things that are out there. Other people. What happens if if, if our company lays folks off? What happens if the stock market continues to decline and go down? What about a weather disaster that might strike? Sure, those things can happen, but God says we can weather anything if we're strong in here. God knew that the greatest threat for the people moving into this new land would be if they turned away from God. So how is Ahava an answer to being strong internally? Well, let's think about several features here. No doubt, one reason the people are told to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind is because it builds trust in God. It's hard to love someone you're afraid of The people are not to fear God. Now, often people are commended in the Bible to fear God, but that is in the level of respect. We are to respect God. But it doesn't mean we should live in terror of God. We aren't to be afraid of God. And the more we love God, the more we come to trust God as a source of help and dependence. But I believe there's a better reason than that. I believe that when we love God, we become more aware of God's mercy. We become more aware of God's mercy because we're all going to need God's mercy. We're going to fail at loving God well, at loving other people well, even loving ourselves well. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to ruin the love that we have at times. We're going to need God's mercy, and God can't help giving people another try. Some people say, I don't like the Old Testament because God is so vengeful. God God seems so mean and harsh. But when you really read the whole of the Old Testament, you discover another characteristic of God, that, that God can't help giving people another try. I was reading my devotional Bible the other morning, and we had, it, it just went through the sagas of King Ahab. King Ahab was so sorry. I mean, he's a bad person. King Ahab made the Grinch look like a Sunday school teacher. This guy broke every commandment and every law of God and, and the icing on the cake was when he killed his neighbor Naboth because he wanted his vineyard. Now, those who know the story well know Ahab didn't exactly kill Naboth. It was Ahab's wife Jezebel. But Ahab didn't stand in her way. He knew what she did. Killed the neighbor so that he could take possession of the vineyard. Well, that was it. That was the final straw. God called the prophet Elijah to go to the king and say, you've done it now, I'm finished with you. And when I say finished, I mean finished, like you're gonna die. And then Ahab repented. And look at what God says to the prophet. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? God can't help giving people another try. Remember the story of Jonah? God called Jonah to go preach to their enemy, the Ninevites, another group of really bad people. Preach that if they don't repent, God's gonna strike them all down, and and Jonah couldn't wait to deliver that message. And then, doggone it, if the Ninevites didn't repent, and it made Jonah so mad. Look at what he says. He yelled at God, God, I knew it. I knew it when I was back home. I knew this was gonna happen. That's why I ran off to Tarsus. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Surely loving God reminds us of God's mercy. Hold on to that last line. Why should we practice the ahava of God? Because loving God reminds us of God's mercy. But you know what, I think there's even a better reason. I think there's even a better reason to practice the ahava of God because it deepens our dependence on God. We we learn that God is a great giver, that God is a giver and all of our blessings really do come from God. It's not about our ability to manufacture our needs and security in life. It's about what we receive from God. And when we don't forget that, when we don't forget it and we remember, yes, I need God for my, for my blessings in life, there's tremendous peace that comes from that. Look again at the word Ahava. A little more Hebrew here. The word Ahava comes from three letters. Aleph. Let's all say it together. We can really impress Rabbi Brett in a few weeks. Aleph. he, He. And vet. Three letters that form the root of the word hav. Hav. And hav means to give. So that in the word Ahava, right in the center of it, is Hav. You can't separate loving from giving. We've been reiterating that point throughout this series. Some people are saying, wow, I thought this was going to be a stewardship series. I wish they were all like this. Rob hasn't talked about money yet. (laughs) Because there's something more important than focusing on giving, and that's loving. And when you love, you release, you share, it builds generosity. You can't help it. You can't help it. Because at the heart of loving is a desire to show it and to give, and so the people are called to love the Lord their God. But I think there's a better reason yet. And in fact, I would be so bold as to say it's the most important reason. It is the reason We are to love God. And it is this. When we love like God, we become like God. When we love like God, we become like God. All of those characteristics of God's nature of loving, of mercy, of being able to forgive, of giving and generosity, they become our character. When we're just conscious every day of focusing on the ahava of God, it, it, it becomes who we are, it inhabits our soul. James Moore is a retired pastor who actually is now deceased. He, for many years was senior pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. He grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and he talks about a time when he was 12 years old playing for the City Little League Championship. His team was ahead by two runs in the last inning of the game, and the other team was at bat. They had two outs, but the bases were loaded the last out would win the game for them. The batter hit a routine ground ball to the third baseman who scooped it, who threw it to the first baseman in plenty of time to get the out, but the the ball went through the webbing of his mitt. And by the time he ran the ball down and threw it to home plate, three runs had scored, the other team won the championship. He said it was just an awful moment made worse by the fact that in the game, he had gotten cleated in the leg. His coach looked at his leg and he said, Jimmy, I'm going to send you to the first aid tent. Now, I'm going to have somebody be here when you come out of the tent to give you a ride home, okay? You're going to be fine. So he went into the first aid tent. They bandaged him up, and then he came out and saw who was going to be driving him home. Let me tell you the rest of the story in Jim Moore's own words. A few minutes later, I came out of the tent. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe who was waiting to drive me home in his truck. How could the coach do this to me? It was Mr. Tony. Mr. Tony was the last person I would have picked to drive me home. He was the town grouch. He was mean and tough with a sour look and evil eyes. All the young people and most of the adults were scared to death of Mr. Tony. I was just 12 years old. With fear and trembling, I got into the truck And with a frightened, squeaky voice, I said, Thanks for waiting for me, Mr. Tony. He grunted and scowled. For 20 minutes, we rode in silence. It seemed like an eternity before we reached my house. I got out of the car. I said, Thanks for the ride, Mr. Tony. He looked at me with angry eyes and said, So that's all you got to say? Thanks? How much gas do you think that's going to buy? His harsh words were like a slap in the face, and I stammered. I'm sorry, Mr. Tony, I don't have any money. Well, get out of the truck, he shouted. I was hurt, stunned, embarrassed. I got out of the truck and ran into the house. It was one of those awful, painful moments in life that you feel like you can never get over or forget. I dreaded seeing Mr. Tony after that, and I avoided him as much as I could. But when I did see him, the pain, the hurt, the embarrassment would flood back into my mind. Some years later, I was coming home from college for the weekend. When I arrived in Memphis, it was just getting dark. As I drove by the fairgrounds, I saw someone hitchhiking and holding up a sign that said Hollywood, a section outside of Memphis. I stopped, and can you believe it, the hitchhiker getting into my car? It was Mr. Tony. We rode along in silence. I came to my house and went down the road several blocks further, and I pulled right up in front of Mr. Tony's house. As Mr. Tony started to get out of the car, he turned back and said, thanks a lot for the ride, Jim. Now, you know what I wanted to say? (laughs) Most every fiber in my being, I was tempted to say, thanks, thanks. How much gas do you think that's going to buy? That's what I almost said. But just then I remembered something. I remembered God. I remembered Jesus and what he taught. I remembered my Christian faith. And empowered by God's Holy Spirit, I said, you're more than welcome, Mr. Tony. You can ride with me anytime. I'm always glad to help a friend. He remembered God. Why is the Shema... Considered to be the first and great commandment because when we remember and remember and remember who God is, we remember who we're called to be. And that's how we really want to live. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, may these ancient words have new value and meaning in our lives that would help us understand first of all when we talk about love, it's not talking about a good idea. And it's certainly not talking about a simple emotion or feeling. It's talking about the deepest level of commitments and actions that make life and make this world look like it should. May we be people always who receive and share the Ahava of God. In your holy name we pray, amen.